Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. A lot, to be honest. I mean, it's a new team for me, a new group of guys, kind of gelling with them to see how everyone operates, see how their lingo is is the most important thing, right? I wouldn't say that we found something here that is going right. to translate to anywhere, right? Uh, this is a very unique track, although it was a lot of fun to drive, and it, it was it kind of surprised me in the amount of grip that it actually produced um, quite a bit faster than, than what we expected. Productive for us. We've got a lot of new people on the two car. And so it was great to have this competitive environment. You know, everyone everyone looked like they were pushing and, you know, it looked like typical IndyCar, right? It was you know, a couple tenths on, on that kind of top split. I think it's a first class facility, no doubt. I think, you know, the, the entire facility here at Thermal uh, really rolled out the red carpet for us. They did a tremendous job. Um, it was a fairly flawless test, I would say, for two days. Raceability wise, it's hard to say. You you know, it was chewing tires up. Um, big drop off from run one to two. So I think from a race standpoint, that would be quite positive. You'd, you'd have big tire deck here. I think you'd probably need to do some more work on, you know, runoff areas, et cetera, if we really wanted to race here. But it's definitely possible. If they wanted to, I, I don't think it would take much effort to, to do the things we needed to, to run an actual race. I think it's possible. It's just I, I see it being very similar to Barber in the sense that there's a lot of long straights. Uh, sorry, there's a lot of like shortest straights with a lot of high-speed corners, so it's going to be hard to make a pass happen. You know, I thought the performance on the 100% renewable fuel was fantastic. I mean, it's a huge step that we're making as a series with Shell to run 100% renewable fuel. I mean, literally the first series in the United States to be able to do that. It's, you know, I didn't notice any performance loss from the engine, so I can't speak highly enough about that step. I mean, we should be shouting that from, you know, mountaintops. Tonight, what we learned from IndyCar's spring training test last week near Palm Springs, plus some surprises and remaining questions. And what about the event? Very unique for a preseason test. Might they race there at Thermal Club in the future? Double points are gone from the Indianapolis 500, and Connor Daly is headed to the Daytona 500 and more NASCAR races. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Trackside on 93.5-1075, the fan in Indianapolis, you heard from Kyle Kirkwood, Joseph Newgarden, two of the 27 on track to kick off the 2023 NTT IndyCar Series season in the first official preseason spring training in a few years. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Josh Molinix in our Indianapolis studios here tonight. Uh, a lot of things to get to. We are guestless for the night because I think we're going to have much to cover on track, off track, and more from the last few days. And since I was out there for part of the time, I'm going to turn it over to you with first just some of your thoughts from observations and then fire away. Uh, I'll have some answers, but I also know you'll have some answers because uh, th- there was there was a lot of connectivity, I guess, if, if you will, from Palm Springs to Indianapolis through social media, through Zoom calls, just a lot of access and a lot of information disseminated. So I know you were able to follow from from back at the the headquarters as well. Well, it's interesting that, um, you know, we've we've kind of survived this 
this COVID period from a technology standpoint. And probably there are just as, you know, there are more people who could cover this race or this test from afar than ever before. It's so it's been really good that, you know, from social media standpoint, from Zoom calls, from from just uh, the the piping in of the the audio from from the various press conferences. There's so much information. In fact, I, I'm sitting here looking at my notes, and I've got about six pages worth of just just really the 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 chicken scratch from the weekend. I mean, I, this doesn't even begin to get into all the the juicy details of it. It's just little reminders of things that happened and and so forth. So we we do have a lot to cover. In fact, I was just noticing and it has nothing to do with maybe some of the things we'll talk about tonight, but in my notes package, I have uh the words Floyd Mayweather. We're going to get to him in a little bit. I've got Kyle Bush, which is which is interesting. I got the Daytona 500 with uh Connor Daly obviously as you mentioned, TV packages for Canada, which are outstanding, new liveries that we saw on all the race cars, more pink on race cars than I can remember in a long time, uh, some really cool cool car displays, Verizon extending. I mean, it, it kind of just goes on and on, and it doesn't even begin to touch the, the individual driver uh, news or at least tidbits that we got out of this this uh, day and or these couple days. And, and so I think we'll have a a lively discussion and we can almost just kind of go through the the timesheet. And while I don't think the timesheet has any relevance to what we're going to see during the season, even the first race of the season in St. Petersburg, because one, we, we don't know what teams are trying at a test. We've talked about that in the past. Some might just be trying to build teamwork. They're trying to introduce a new driver. They're trying to just kind of get their rhythm after four or five months since the first uh, since the last race of 2022. And then the other thing is, this is such a unique circuit. There's not any other circuit like it that IndyCar will race in 2023. Maybe Portland a little bit, but that's so far down the road. So while we know, you know, who was strong at, at this particular venue, it doesn't really suggest who's going to be strong at St. Pete. So we got a lot to talk about. And, and I think I, I want to start there with on track and what that may or may not mean. And then we'll get to the event and the reaction and the future of that. But let's talk about that. And, and you're right that it may not matter. We don't know what people were doing, but they're still racing. And and I just know from being there that so when it doesn't go well or when you're not quick, you say, yeah, we were developing things. But reality is they all want to be quick. There is a caveat to that. I, I think in reality, they want to be quick and develop things and go through their checklist. So in some ways, you can still have a productive test and never really go all out. You know, for example, if you want to win the test, you make sure that you're throwing new tires at it in the morning when the track is quicker, when you have the best to do uh, the overall best time. But but I do think there are still some things that you can take from this or st- it's all piecing it together. Uh, and and this is the best we've got until they they actually race. But we'll just start with Kyle Kirkwood, who we heard from. And, and I like the way TrackSideOnline.com kind of pieced together. You can have the overall best time of the weekend, which I think Marcus Erickson had the fastest time. I don't have that in front of me, but I know he was fastest 
in the last session. And, and that's nice. But the way uh, TSO did it was kind of take an average from each of the different sessions. And Kirkwood was second Thursday morning. They had a mechanical, I think a clutch issue in the Thursday afternoon. And then third Friday morning and first Friday afternoons. The fastest time was going to come in the cool of the day on the Friday morning session. And that's when Marcus Erickson was fastest. Colton Herta was one one. 14-7, not as quick on the second day, but showed speed on the first day as well. Uh, but but what I was getting to was that Kyle Kirkwood reminded us why he was the most heralded road to Indy prospect in many years. Had a trying season with A.J. Foyt Racing. Some of that's on him for crashing. Uh, some of it is, you know, we've seen what they've been for the last couple of decades or so. But I, I think that's where I'll start. Kyle Kirkwood told us, hey, uh, I know Andretti has lost a lot of strength in Indy 500 wins, but you never know. Maybe this guy jumps up there and reminds us why they were willing to let Colton Hurd go to Formula One a couple of years ago and slot Kirkwood right into his seat. So I think that is a good place to start, not only because, you know, he was consistently fast, but I think that was the you know his consistency through the weekend was was uh was really good and and the other thing i would say is i spent a lot of time really kind of analyzing the weekend as it related to Kyle and so i wrote a story that that appeared today on indycar.com so i actually that's probably the biggest story that i took from the weekend or the mm-hmm. week it, it, that's why i decided that my first story about this thermal test would be about Kyle Kirkwood you know, he did crash seven times last year in 17 races. He only led five laps on one occasion, and that was in, in an oval race at Texas Motor Speedway. He had a, a horrible season last year. I looked at one one chart where it gave me the, the standings, uh, and it only went 21 deep uh, with the point standings. This was on a on a website that I happened to look at from time to time because – the backstory is we had, we had uh, refreshed the standings on IndyCar.com. And so they're reset for 2023. So nobody has any points. So to do a quick reference, I looked to see how many, what position he was in. It listed the top 21. He wasn't in it. He was 24th. I mean, there were only 25 cars on a regular basis last year and he was 24th. So that tells you how bad that season was. But what I took from, uh, this thermal test is, the spring is back in his step. You know, he's got he's got his confidence back. He's like, look, uh, whether it was uh, the equipment, whether it was him not meshing to the equipment. And I think what the biggest thing is, is is when he described trying to drive a Foyt car that he thought in his mind was the way Andretti would have it run. You know, it was he was trying to do Andretti things in a Foyt car uh, with, with setups and how the car felt to him. And then Colton Herta came back with a kind of a kind of sum up that, uh, summed up that, that feeling that, that Kyle had by saying, I kind of had the same thing when I was at, at Harding. And even though we were part of the Andretti bunch, it still was a different car when I got to Andretti. And, and we kind of go through that. Graham Rahal said much the same thing. I went from a Ganassi to a Rahal car and it was polar opposite. So, I think, you know, just having Kyle's confidence back, you know, you look at, at the, uh, at the Friday times. Yeah. He was third in that final session or third overall for the day, 
but the nearest teammate was 14th. So, you know, he had, uh, he had a, a rejuvenated week. And I think that's good to see because he was so dominant in the road to Indy, as you pointed out. Well, and he is someone that has been used to winning at every level of cars. And I'm sure in go-karts as well. And their pace was better last year. You know, he made the second round of qualifying in his debut at St. Pete, and that was a major win for that team. And I just think that he overreached a little bit. You know, he's got a mid-pack car, and it's easy for us to say you should accept a mid-pack car, but this is a guy that's used to competing and running up front, so you push it a little bit, and you end up crashing. I <laughs> thought it was interesting that Michael Andretti, speaking the truth, recently said, yeah, it wasn't all bad for us. He crashed and learned a lot last year, and it was in somebody else's car, and we didn't have to pay for it. That doesn't help Larry and A.J. Foyt very much, which is maybe something to think about, um, you know, for the future. At the time, I think we all agreed this seemed like a good move, that you get somewhat of immense talent, even if you know it's only going to be for a year and it will raise your program, but you're developing someone for someone else. Uh, now, I think we still might see that what Kyle Kirkwood brought to that team might pay dividends. It'll be interesting a year from now to say, you know, what they might say with true serum. Do they feel like that helped in the long run or uh, we're still where we're at and it just costs us a lot of money and crash damage? So I don't know. But that was something that took from that because I, I, I think a lot of us feel that that's one of the big questions for this season is what is Andretti? Are they still one of the big three, big four, whatever? Or, you know, they have one driver who's 22 years old that's won a race. None of the rest of them have won a race. It's going to be up to Kyle Kirkwood and, to some extent, Romain Grosjean to live up to the hype and expectations that were brought with him last year and the team surrounding them to give them good cars of where they were at. So that that's one part of it. Colton Herta picked up where he left off. Grosjean was okay uh, I, I think he showed some some pace there. Um, you know, kind of one of the things that I was gathering, too, was that this does, and I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, you don't have to test for a race weekend, so you really can go through the checklist of all the things that you want to do for the overarching program rather than we just need to be fast at this track. So I think that is one of the positives to doing it at a place where you don't race. Yeah, and, and you mentioned, by the way, Grosjean and Kirkwood needing to kind of uh, step up and really help this program. But but I would argue Colton Herta as well. You know, he hasn't Correct. been as consistently strong. You know, he's kind of been, and I don't want to say completely feast or famine. That's not fair. But, you know, he's either been at the front or not where, not where we think he ought to be. For whatever mm -hmm. reason. So it, it's kind of all three of them. And then we'll see how Devil and Francesco's second season in this series, uh, goes. But, uh, but I think they'll be, you know, I, I can't say that they'll be stronger because Kyle takes over for, for Rossi. Cause I don't, I don't believe that that's the case at all. Uh, but I do think that collectively they look stronger on this type of circuit. But keep in mind, I think, I mean, it's, and it's difficult to say. Maybe this is truly a road course, you know, but it's very flat. Uh, the surface was as, as many described it as, as strange. I think that was Colton Herter that used that word. So I think it probably had some, some street course characteristics, even though being a permanent road course. And if you're saying that, remember that Andretti's had a pretty good street circuit program. 
if 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 that's indeed the case, then they'll probably be off to a good start at St. Pete, and and then we'll have to see if their road course and oval program is is the kind that gets them to the big three. Because I think you could make the argument they're on the fringe of the the big three at the moment. I you certainly wouldn't say that they're Penske and Andretti, Penske and Ganassi, and then. You know, where does Aero McLaren slot? So they're ahead of Andretti right now. Yeah. So yeah. Um that that's the interesting element to it. Um I think next let's talk about the rookies. And I'll start off with saying I was wrong, and I think a lot of people were wrong about Augustine Canapino. And I even asked Ricardo Junkos. I I saw him at the hotel during media days and chatted with him a little bit on what would that have been uh Tuesday it was after we finished the show and I said you know what what's realistic for Augustine and he said you know he might be 27th for the first half of the season because this is all new to him and he and I'm paraphrasing but it's essentially that he said there's nobody that's slow uh, and he reiterated that no I like this guy I, I think he has talent and he was awesome in what he was driving but this is an entirely new experience for him. There's no one that is just there to fill the field at this point. Um, so he, he still believed him and he said, now the second half of the season, I think you're going to see something from, from this young man and he's younger than us, but he's not younger than most of the young drivers in his early thirties because he was a champion level driver in touring cars, essentially stock cars in Argentina for a reason, but it's going to take him a while to figure this out, and he might be at the back for a while, but that doesn't mean we will lose any faith in this. And if you know Ricardo Juncos, you know he is blunt, especially just in a chat. He's very honest. And the fact that he reiterated that, no, he's good, and he's got talent, tells me something. And then he goes out there, and he's consistently not last. Right off the get-go. You know, he's not third, but the fact that he's quicker in sessions than Graham Rahal and Connor Daly and a couple of other rookies. And maybe that's the equalizing factor that it's a new track for everyone, but whatever it's a new car for Augustine Canapino. So kudos to him. I'm I'm really happy for him. And the program entirely w- was good because Callum Eilat was what he has been. He's been in the thick of it. Yeah. Really since road America last year. Um, well, really most of the season you saw good things from, for my lot, but, but yeah, Canapino struck me very quickly. I had a nice conversation with him the end of last week, probably, or actually it was before this show last week. And I think we talked about that a little bit, but it was about a 30 minute call. And, and he said in there, and I had, I don't know that I worked it into a story, but he said he hadn't, he didn't even know English. He didn't know a word of English until yeah. three, three months ago. <laughs> and, and he, before I talked to him, he, he's, he sent me an email. He said, can you give me some things to, to, to prepare for? We had a great conversation for 30 minutes in English. He never really stumbled. My point is this boy guy must be a pretty fast learner of things because yep. he, he handled English very well. He handled this press conference very well. Went back and looked at the transcript. He gave pretty robust answers for, for someone who couldn't speak English three months ago, but you know, you're right. He was 21st in the first uh, day. He was, uh, let's see, he was 20, he was 21st both days. Here's the guys he was ahead of on day two. Graham Rahal, Renus VK, Stingray Rob, Santino Ferrucci, Connor Daly, 
and Benjamin Peterson. There's some talent in that group. Uh, Graham's won races. VK's won a race. Ferrucci is really competitive on, of course, he's, he's getting back into road courses for the first time in some time, but, but, uh, we know these guys can drive race cars and, and Canapino was the fact he wasn't last. As you said, he probably will be in a lot of events this year. Um, but maybe I, not. Maybe not. And <laughs> maybe I, I tell not. you what, you, you mentioned Hunkos. I, he is so impressive. Ricardo is so impressive in how he's been able to build his program that I wouldn't, I, if he says this guy's got talent, I trust that the Ricardo is shooting us straight. And it's filling both sides of the spectrum because Visit Argentina is a major partner of that program. And, you know, we all know that it takes money to run racing uh, entities. So it's a combination of driver skill and budget behind him. So this is working out. The next rookie I want to speak about is Marcus Armstrong, who we had on the show recently and had a nice chat. And I, I think we spoke of him in high regard. And, and I know I felt like from his background as a race winner in F2 that he's someone that can be in the mix. And when it, you know, it's mentioned rookie of the year candidates, he gets a little bit dismissed because, oh, he's not full season. But I think as you look at the rookies, who has the best chance to be on the podium, to have multiple, you know, top tens, top fives, things like that. Marcus Armstrong, I'm not going to say he is going to win a race, but there is a chance he could win a race. And I would give him, I'd give him a decent chance. I, I'll say this. I think he'll probably finish in the top five once this season. He's in a good car oh, yeah. with a good team and he's talented. And he, he showed that. Yeah. He's going to figure this out pretty quickly. I, I was hoping you would finish that sentence. Uh, he'll finish top five. And then you had a long pause, but, but yeah, I, I think he'll finish. I think he'll have a race where he's in the camera shot. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah, you guys, so. you guys will be talking about him at the end of the race. It'll probably be someplace like a big road course. Uh, a road America might be that kind of place, but, uh, we'll have to see. But, but I think he was impressive right out of the box. Again, he's going to have great teammates to, to draw from. You know that all three of those other Ganassi cars are going to be race winners or they should be they have been in the past so so that's going to be a, a strong lineup for him to draw from and and for him to get out of the box strong really impressive um others that not surprising you know we say that testing doesn't mean anything but you have some of the usual candidates up at the front will power had the second best overall average colton herta had the third best Alex Pillow had the fourth best. Scott Dixon had the fifth best. Christian Lungard is the next one that comes to mind, who was by far the best of the Rahal, Letterman, Lanigan drivers last season. Graham Rahal was not quick in this test. And again, who knows? Maybe they're developing something, and he tried one thing, and Lungard had the other thing, and that's what worked out well. But listening to Graham and Christian and Jack, but especially Graham, speaking in in glowing terms about what the uh the new technical director that came over from McLaren had McLaren F1 has brought to the program uh and what we saw from Lungard last year and what the drivers say yeah it wasn't really optimal as as far as the cars Lungard is going to be one to watch this year yeah absolutely I think Lungard is is in that that very short list of drivers who could win a race his first race in this series uh this year 
You know, he's got a new mustache that he said he wouldn't shave until he won a race. That mustache, you know, the razor better get lubed up because uh, I think he can win a race this year. So, so, and you look at the other end of the spectrum, when we say testing doesn't matter much, honestly, and, and unfortunately, it's probably the people at the bottom of the timesheet that you'd say, yeah, they, they might spend some time at the bottom of the timesheet. What does yeah. two mean? You're going to tell me what hand signals mean. <laughs> Well, we got two minutes on our time on this timer. So, oh, we're, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. The, the, the Ed Carpenter cars, uh, Connor Daly and, and Renus VK near the bottom, uh, doesn't, uh, bode well, you know, as an early, early preview, but a long way to go. Uh, and then two of the other rookies, Stingray Rob and Benjamin Peterson were at the back and then Santino Ferrucci. So you know, the Foy cars are two of the three. So I'm hoping that they were working on something, developing things and we'll see better things. In the future there, Elio Castroneves has talked about how he really wants to have a huge season. You know he's not ready to go, and I'm going to guess he's already getting weary of hearing everyone talk about Tom Blomquist swapping spots with him for next year. I would say this, though, from Elio's perspective, if I'm him, if I'm managing his program, I'm still asking for a raise if that happens next year, if he swaps with Tom Blomquist and becomes full-time again in sports cars and does only the Indy 500 because I think he'll provide more value to their program if he doesn't have to drive on IndyCar weekends and is just there being an ambassador. He'd still be doing a dozen races a year between the two programs. So I'm going to say if that happens, Elio can still get a raise out of it. All right, we'll continue with more in just a moment. We've got to get into some other things on track and also the event uh, and the venue itself coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Kyle Kirkwood, and you're listening to Trackside. Hey, before I forget, uh, schedule moving forward next week, same night. We are on Tuesdays for the rest of the month, full two hours, except the final Tuesday in February uh, from 8 until 9. And then we've got the first, we've got every Tuesday in March. So we have a, a normal schedule here for the next little while remember in 2008 we started this in january this show and on a a nightly basis and we had to give the schedule just to see if we were still participating as a show (laughs) it was for our own edification to know whether we were still working or not but uh unification happened and that got the ball rolling and 15 16 years later we're still talking about indycar I thought we gave the schedule on the air just to remind the hosts when the next program was. Well, I'm just that's saying. often that's <laughs> that's <laughs> often the case. Well, management leaves, you know, at five o'clock and they really don't know we're here. So that's worked out quite nicely. So we thank them for that. All right. Let's continue the conversation on um, this, that and the other. I've still got some performance things to talk about and some interesting nuggets. But I think we should probably speak on the event itself. What are the reactions that you were hearing um, from fans, from management, from uh, people involved in the sport to this unique circumstance of a test at a facility they don't race at? It's not like it's unique for a test not to have fans. That's usually the case anyway. But what did we take from this? The positives, the negatives, anything else? Well, let's start with the fact that it's good to test. First of all, <laughs> IndyCar doesn't test a lot anyway. So there were a few, few years where we didn't have an open test. So I think just having the open test 
And having 27 car and driver combinations is a good thing. Obviously, I think exposing a new market. I don't know. You know, there were, I was going to say this earlier. There were 60 uh, media credentials issued. Now, those aren't all the LA Times and the San Francisco Chronicle and the, you know, the, the Palm Springs. I forget what the name of the newspaper is and all the TV stations. Of course not. It's not all the California stations, but it did. It was making a noise, so to speak, in that part of the country where we do race. We race in Long Beach and to have, you know, people, clients, if you will, of that property who have a lot of money. By the way, that's a very wealthy uh, racetrack and and the money that's been spent there is real money. And any of those people could get involved in our sport and that would be a good thing. So you start with that premise Look, I'd like to have a test where at least fans could watch from a streaming standpoint. I don't know what the ramifications or limitations were for not having streaming at at uh, at this venue, but it it probably had a lot to do with you know just they're not equipped uh, to be filming all over the racetrack the way you know other venues we've gone to in a test uh, are set up to do uh, running cables and so forth. Uh, but it would be nice if we had a, a streaming, uh, you know, we've kind of gotten used to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's the first takeaway. But but overall, I think it's good to be in that market. It's good to be at that racetrack where there are people who who really could make a difference in, in this sport if they were to get involved financially. And and I think it's just good to shake the rust off and and for drivers and and crew members as well and and manufacturers to just you know it's not that that the cars are going to you know the engines are going to start breaking down because they haven't been used all winter it's more a case of you know just getting in the rhythm of servicing the teams at the racetrack and do you have enough parts and pieces and it's just, there's just all kinds of first day of school bugs that you work out when you have a session like this I am a huge proponent of there being some sort of an official spring training. And, and, and I know IndyCar is too. And they've always had that or almost always had that. And the reason it went away is because, well, we didn't know when 2021 was going to start. COVID had a lot to do with things. And then it's just simply finding the right venue. Um, one, it's easier to create some enthusiasm and sort of have a race weekend, whether you have streaming or not when everybody is there together and you have official timing and scoring, uh, it's good to have a full field there. Even though it's Sebring, sometimes you have 15, 18 cars, but the teams actually did useful pit stop practice just for IndyCar to go through the systems. There are new things that are tried to get out the bugs. Uh, that That's a huge benefit. I'll speak to this for the streaming, and we all understand that you, know, you and I are a, a bit biased or we're not the end all be all on having an opinion on that. I work for the broadcast partner. You work for the series. So I would start with this comment and I did a cut and paste of this a couple of weeks ago from Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis star because he doesn't work for either entity. So while I, I feel like I'm generally pretty honest or if it's something I know I shouldn't talk about, I try not to talk about it, but if I offer an opinion, it is my honest opinion on that. But I'll start with what Nathan said. And by the way, I don't know what the cost was. 
but I heard it was really expensive. So Nathan's was seeing a lot of frustration on the uh, lack of a a live viewing option for next week's test. Here's reality. There's virtually no ROI to spend the man hours and infrastructure costs it would have taken to create a legitimate worthwhile content machine up from nothing to then have a few thousand folks either watching on Peacock or YouTube. If you have complaints against the series, and I believe some are warranted, Nathan writes, asking them to set money on fire so you can watch a live stream of an open test isn't the solution. You are not, quote, growing the sport by spending tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars to stream two days of testing in a track not on the schedule. I desire the, I understand the desire to consume as much on-track action as possible. It's great. Some love it that much, but there's a limit to what's reasonable. Agreed. End quote there. Yeah, and, and 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 I saw the complaint too that well, how are you going to grow the sport if you don't do this? No one new is going to come in and watch a practice session where you know they may sit for twenty minutes at a time and say, oh, "I can't wait to get there to one of these events." Now, it is important to satisfy your hardcores, and there's something to be said for that. And that's that what that would have been. It would have been satisfying your hardcores. Hopefully it's more than a few thousand, but that's probably the only guarantee that you have. Um, so I don't know what the number is and it's easy to spend other people's money, but I do think you probably can find a better way to spend it. That said, you've now got a year before next year. I hope the effort starts right now to figure out how can we do this? And, and it's not fair to say somebody can hold up a phone and we can stream it that way. There's a standard of quality expected from Penske Entertainment. But is there a way to do it economically? And let's start trying to sell it because the sponsor attached to this, make it added value for another package you're working on. We'll get a lot of love because we can say this is presented by blank, blank, blank. Um now, I also know there are a lot of other things that are trying to sell, so that's easier said than done. But that's one way that this can happen is to attach some sponsorship to it to it to at least defray some costs. I think the first time we did a live stream of a test, the open test was at Phoenix. And I I want to say it was 2017. And the conversation I was, uh, and this is one I pushed for, is that we would at least have one camera in turn one high in turn one, so you could see the racetrack at Phoenix International, and we had a roving camera on pit road. So you could at least talk to people on on pit road and have that one stationary camera upstairs. Now, we've gone way past that in, in terms of And by the way, I bet that was still pretty expensive, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it still was was a, a pretty good cost, not the cost that it would have taken to to kind of do this one at probably. A road but, course. Yeah, yeah road course. But 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 I would, you know, we often, especially the older uh, part of this audience, would would maybe scoff at the value of social media. But I don't scoff at that. That's that is real reach. In fact, to your point about new new viewers and and new consumers of the product, I would say social media has got a much better chance of landing in their laps than the visual of the open test. Uh, mm-hmm. We still gathered really cool content. Uh, Chris Taylor and the gang that that uh, creates content from a video standpoint, there was still a two-minute two highlight package that was sent around through social media. It was a 
you know, you could hear and smell and feel the cars through this video and uh, not, not literally uh, on some cases, but, but you got a sense for what was happening. You got driver sound bites. The drivers were taking photographs. Uh, and that, by the way, is not just during the Thursday, Friday on track portion, but the Tuesday, Wednesday media content uh, creation day, which is vital to uh, having enough, you know, sound bites and and images and audio and and video uh, that that gets dropped into press conferences or gets dropped into media guides and TV intros and you know all these different places, invaluable to get that kind of content. And that and that was shared from a social media standpoint. So really, it was still a very good uh, four days. Um, but that's just, that's just the content side, uh, the on track side. I don't know. I heard mixed things, you know, drivers are, and, and teams are always, you know, they've got a, an opinion regardless of where you're at. If you're at the best racetrack in the world, well, there's, there's this and that. And if, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always an interesting thing to judge, but going to a new venue felt refreshing. It introduced us to new people, meaning the people at, uh, thermal club and it also uh, gave gave content a chance to flow uh, through social media and the various news outlets that that were on site so a good week there was great energy there and i think in general well you know i'm sure some drivers were eh, i'm not sure how much we're learning you're still learning something but they liked the atmosphere sure they did and and no disrespect to sebring but that is the running joke among any racing driver is they spend so much time at Sebring. There's not a lot around there and no one wants to go back. Uh, I missed out on a trip to Sebring as we speak. My driver is there right now testing the next couple of days, but I've got stuff to do. So I've spent enough time in Florida. So I, I sat this one out, even though it's would have been a part of my avoid Indiana winter tour would have been perfect for that. Um, but but I do think that everyone just likes something different. It is a, a wonderful area, especially in in January or February. So I think it serves some value there. Um, and if you did it right, there's the possibility of meeting the next person that becomes a partner of your program or the racing series. Well, the Don Cusick is a really good example of that. I mean, that's the kind of people, uh, and he has you know a passion for this sport. And I'm sure now he's had a chance to share that passion with other people that he is around at the thermal club. So, so yeah, there, you know, when, when the track track owner was talking to me a, a couple of weeks ago on this, on this show about how much money had been invested just to start the project, that was mind boggling. And it gave you a sense for, for the, um, for the cash flow that was going through, through that venue. Well, it's basically $10 million to join. You know, it's it's a I forget the numbers, but it was something like five million for membership. Then you've got to buy, build a house that's going to be at least five to ten million dollars. The the dues each year. So we are talking about real players. And by the way, this isn't their only home. They have one or two others like that. Um, and I met a really interesting group of people in my two visits there, and wonderful people that enjoyed this from the members that I had met a few weeks before that I saw at the party, which was a big hit on what night was that Tuesday night, the welcome party. Yes. Yes. They were on track. No, Wednesday night, Wednesday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night, night, because they were on track Thursday, Friday, 
packed room. I'm going to say there are 500 people in there. Uh, every driver was in there for at least an hour, hour and a half. And there are people there to meet. And, you know, I don't know what the uh, business model was of this. I don't know if IndyCar rented the facility, if it was a trade for exposure for the racetrack, or if there was a bit of a sanctioning fee. It could have gone any number of ways, but I think you can make the argument that it provides value for the thermal club. And and let's talk about if you want to have a race. And I asked a few drivers this. Could they race here? And and I didn't get to stay the entire time. I had to scoot out to go to a basketball game in Chicago. So I think I talked to maybe four drivers after they had been on the track and all said, yeah, I think we could race here. They would need to fix some runoff area, upgrade some safety, and it would probably be pricey. So there would be an investment there. But let's look at it from this standpoint. If they had, whether it's an exhibition or regular points paying race or not, that's maybe going to cost them $10 million. They sell one new membership. One. That sort of pays for that. Now, I know they're not getting all the money for someone building a home. So I guess really you're talking, you need to sell a couple of memberships. Uh, so I think you might be able to get the members and, and Tim Rogers and the organizers and the investors of, of Thermal Club interested in that type of expenditure. Could they do a race there? A points paying race with fans? Some of the members I've talked to didn't seem super keen on having a crowd come in there. And I know it sounds sacrilegious to have a, an event without fans, but I would look at it, if you decided to go down this path, I would look at it like an international event. You do it if it's good economically, either that it's you think it's going to potentially find you new owners or sponsors uh, or create a television audience, say, this weekend when, you know, you and I watched the NASCAR race and it was a little bit difficult <laughs> to watch. There were 3.6 million people watching that race. So now it's granted it's NASCAR, but I think that's the biggest television audience they had had since the Coke 600 last year, bigger than what they had in most of the second half races. So when people in February are starved for racing, they will watch for, for things. You could maybe do a made-for-television event that, uh, unfortunately, IndyCar is not to the point where they draw that number, but you might be able to get a number out of that. So if uh, back to my original point, it'd be like a race in Brazil. None of us are going to a race in Brazil or Japan. We're watching it on television. So as long as you can put it on television, let's think about Laguna Seca. How many people are that race? When when one of the members, maybe it was Tim that said this, eh, maybe we could fit 5,000 people in here. My joke was, no disrespect to our Laguna Seca fans, but, well, we have a race at Laguna Seca every year with about that many people. That might be doable. Maybe there's 10,000 there, but there's not many. And well, the reason they race at Laguna Seca is because the sponsors love it, and you can entertain your sponsors and the drivers. and the. It, it's good for other things than the crowd. So it could be doable in the right circumstance. It's funny. That, yeah, no, it's funny. You said that that would might be sacrilegious to say. And then I think about, you know, what do you think the over under on the number of people who non-working, non-working attended all 17 races last year, less than 10. 
I mean, it, people just aren't. My point is there yeah. are very few people who are going to every race. So there are races that they miss. Yep. And if you gave me and, the and choice. And by the way, there is another race within three hours of that race. Sure. Long Beach. Sure. So you have an option to attend something else. But if it meant if you gave me the choice and this this is kind of a long winded answer to it. But if you gave me the choice between having a race there with no fans or not having a race at all, I'd rather have the race. I'd rather Mm -hmm. be able to just watch it from afar. We had an Indy 500 like that. Now, I'm not saying that that was ideal history. And tradition and, and, and the annual ritual of the Indy 500 was a whole nother story, but it was still an enjoyable watch on television. And we could do the same thing, especially at a venue that you're not accustomed to going to anyway. The bigger issue, and because I think that is one that, that philosophically needs to be tackled, but the bigger issue really is, can you do it from a safety standpoint? Is the track really raceable, you know, in terms of, of, uh, you know, track width, uh, for the size of these cars and the speed and so forth. But we raced at Barber and that was, and we that's th- the one that kept being mentioned by people as we talked about that. Well, no one said we could race at Barber and turns out it was a good race and has been a good race. It's been one of the most consistently good races on the vent on this, on the calendar, you know, year after year. And I mean, I, I remember that first trip to Barber before we raced down there and. No one thought it was going to be very good at all. And so I think we can, you know, you got to make some, there's some safety elements that absolutely have to be fixed. I I think the likelihood is more likely in a sort of an all-star race, an exhibition type of race, you know, and that's what the pro-am that was talked about, but I think you could have a regular IndyCar race. So then, then it comes down to the money, how much money can be put up because if you're going to have an exhibition race, it needs to benefit the teams in some way that some money is going back to them since it's not a points race, but it might be a nice made for television event, uh, made for sponsor event. Maybe you sell a thousand tickets at a thousand bucks a piece, maybe, but then you decide, well, is it worth it to go to that, uh, expense for not that many people getting in or is it just a closed event? But, I think there is a potential workable factor out there. And then that way you can still kick off your season in front of a nice crowd at St. Pete, your real championship season. Yeah, I I don't know. I I mean, I've thought about the pro-am option. I mean, you can't have – how do you do that? You're probably having to race, you know, use other types of cars. That doesn't fit our business model. You want – IndyCar should be about showcasing our drivers and our equipment and our series. Not yeah. somebody else's drivers, not somebody else's equipment. Running in a sports car doesn't really help us. <laughs> no, it, you know, you know, having Rossi drive a sports car and then share with a, with a local, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything for, for IndyCar, in my opinion. So we, we, by gonna, the way, just had the IndyCar drivers driving sports cars last weekend. Yeah. Yeah. In, so, in a significantly prestigious race. That's right. So I'd like to see if it's going to happen, if there's going to be a competitive environment at Thermal Club, I'd like it to see with IndyCar drivers uh, in IndyCar equipment. And if if it had to be, if the only way it can be done is to have a made-for-TV event, then I could accept that. Uh, a few bumps there that drivers said, yeah, we can probably fix that out, but 
I had a question. We'll look up Twitter questions later, but what's it compared to? Portland was the closest, but mostly said, yeah, it doesn't really compare to a whole lot. Um, the visuals were outstanding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, I don't think I want to go there in the summertime when it's 120, but in January and February, it's chilly in the morning, but boy, does it still feel really nice. It is, it is just such a, a, a beautiful area. Uh, all right. We'll come up. We'll talk about what's coming up in, in our number two. Uh, preview of that. We will get to some Twitter questions and we still got m- more to get to from the on track portion. Uh, Daytona 500 comings and goings. One driver saying no, open up the door for another IndyCar driver to say yes. We'll get to all that and more coming up on Trackside. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis, Kirk Cavan, Kevin Lee, Josh Molinix in our studios tonight. Um, also, I mentioned that our show next week is next Tuesday night. I'm hoping that we have Mark Miles on the program. I am waiting to get that confirmed. So if you have a question for Mark, we may not have him on the show. I can't promise it <laughs> because I don't know what his schedule is. But this will be my last chance to tell you that he's going to be on the show next week, other than on on social media. Um, but we might have Mark on the show next Tuesday night. And if you have a question, I would send that in in advance because that would be one that we probably tape around his schedule and also somewhat around my schedule because I'm back on the Avoid Indiana tour next week and we'll be at uh, another uh, nice location. By the way, I went to Chicago for the weekend and it warmed up nicely. It wasn't bad. It was 40 some degrees and I got outside in Indiana today. So I'm always happy with that. I would like to say we're done with winter, but I'm sure it'll be minus six again at some point and we'll still get a foot of snow. So we're not there yet, but we are getting closer and we've seen racing on track. So I feel like we're almost there. Yeah, I got in my car today. It was 57 degrees. Yeah, it was nice. It was really nice. So good stuff. All right. uh, Some other things I wanted to mention. Uh, Trackside Online did a nice little feature, you know, talking about winning the test and and Steve Wittick had some time on his hands, so we went back and looked at who has won the test in the past and how often that results. Since 2013, the driver that wins spring training uh, has had a mixed bag of results, but I would say actually his numbers and his research tells me that the people up front tend to do pretty well during the season as well. Will Power in 2014, Scott Dixon in 2015 were fastest in the test, went on to win the championship that season. The average championship finishing position of the quickest driver in spring training since 13, we know they didn't have it every year, is six. That's pretty good. With five of eight testing leaders finishing in the top five of the championship, only two did really well in the test and did not do well in the season. J.R. Hildebrand, 15th in 2017, that was probably one of those years it was at Phoenix uh, on the yeah, Oval. That would make sense because I know he was good there. And Takuma Sato finished 12th in the championship in 2018, the only ones that finished outside the top 10. The average position, the eventual champion finished in the combined timesheet of spring training is 4.75. So well, that's, that's pretty good. Running and up I, front. Yes. As as we mentioned earlier, I'm I'm sure the 2017 open test was at Phoenix because that was my first full season at IndyCar and I had organ- helped organize, you know, the the behind the scenes elements to that. So, yes, I would say 
that was an outlier because it was an oval and we didn't have that many ovals. And um, so there you go. Uh, some other notes you talked about liveries and what we saw. So one that really stood out was the the shell car for Joseph Newgarden. I hear that's not what we're going to see at St. Petersburg, that that might be his Indy 500 livery. And it was pointed out, I'm not sure where that's here. I think I know it was probably here because Joseph made a point to mention this in his press conferences. So it was the rollout of 100% renewable fuel with Shell. And he made mention of that as a good representative of his partners of that. So that's my guess is why they had that livery, because I don't know that we're going to see that at St. Petersburg. Well, that's a... You know, Shell's a extremely important uh, partner of Team Penske and the series and the Speedway for that matter. And so uh, to have that beautiful car, it was red it, it with uh, yellow and yellow trim. It really had a target look to it from the Ganassi mm-hmm. era, uh, which was interesting and noteworthy. Uh, but that was one of my favorites. Um, the McLaughlin car being all Pennzoil was beautiful. Uh, I thought it was interesting. Devlin Francesco's car being pink and blue, a little more predominantly blue, but with a pink. Uh, the 27 car was pink. That was Kyle Kirkwood. Uh, Renus VK's car looked different in white, uh, trimmed in some, some gold. And, uh, the Ridgeline car that we're going to see a lot of, number 11, the, the X, the fourth car at, at the Ganassi stable. Uh, being green, uh, that had a, had a kind of a different look. Those are some of the ones that I've made note of. It's always fun to, you know, we know we're going to see different car color combinations through the course of the season. Graham Rahal joked that he brought six different suits with him to, uh, <laughs> content day so he could be, you know, photographed and all the different, uh, you know, uniforms that we'll see during the course of the season from, from the Rahal team. Uh, but, you know, to see some of the cars look different was was a nice change. And the transporters as well, by the way. You, you know, you get some looks at the transporters over the course of the year, and it's nice to see them have a pop to them. The Andretti cars have all four cars on the transporter in in a very striking way. And so that was one that I took particular notice of. And Hunko's Hollinger, really cool design of their uh, new logo and, and color scheme, uh, is really when you see the kind of splash across the transporter, for example, you have to kind of look at it to notice that it says JHR. It mm-hmm. doesn't, it doesn't hit you immediately. And so those are just some of the cool little nuances that I noticed, uh, over the last couple of days there at the thermal club. And, um, I'm sure there will be some more subtleties to the season as we get rolling at St. Pete on March 3, 4, and 5. So there still will be many on track. I've not seen an updated list. I've been asked who's going to be at Sebring. That's probably next week, right? 13th, 14th, something like that. The original list only listed like one team, two teams, three cars. I bet it ends up being 14 or 15. So I don't have a list. Can't promise you anything. But the way this generally works is, for example, one team might rent the track and then others join in. And the one team that rents the track is happy to let others come because it defrays the costs. And it gives you a measuring stick. That uh, the, too. The more the more participation, the better uh, you get to judge yourself against the field. Uh, so you're right. It probably just shows that 
the team or the group that that rented it and uh, others make their decision. You know, they only get so many testing days, and so they may decide that Sebring's a good place. They usually decide Sebring's a good place, one, because it's ahead of the start of the season and it's so reflective or at least something comparable to what we'll see at St. Pete. It's the closest that you get for St. Pete. It's bumpy. It's a, a street track type of feel to it, and it's one of the few places where it it is warm. Oh, speaking of liveries, I think we should mention this too. We try to give love to sponsors, but this one I think is notable because of how long it is. 15 years for the same primary sponsor in a day and age when every motorsport team seems to need three or four or five primaries throughout the season. It really helps all of us that the number 12 is the Verizon car. And that's going to be the case again. You kind of take it for granted, but we shouldn't. That's why I want to mention it, that that it was confirmed that Verizon will be back as the primary for willpower again for every race this season. So I was going to take a quick gander. Is it possible that he's never driven a car at Team Penske that wasn't a Verizon car? I, I, I mean, think like- there were two. I Because I think I had this in my notes for the championship weekend last year and i don't think i got Pen- to it he did penske truck rental that first yeah. year in 09 uh but you know one of those one of those races might have had a meyer sponsorship pretty prominently after that but there are just i just don't think there are any other uh i th- i think the number was two it was like two or three in those i don't remember if they were all in 2009 but it's obviously very much in the early going, but it, it's been a remarkable partnership. Penske and, truck rental. He did a Penske truck rental. That's what he did. And is that the only one? In, That's in the only two, one I can remember. Yeah, he did uh, in t- 2009. He did. Uh, he started just with Team Penske. It, it, it didn't have sponsorship at St. Pete, or at least didn't show sponsorship. Then he did two Verizon races and four Penske truck rental and then to start 2010, he won won the first two races of the season in Verizon colors, and he's been Verizon the rest of the way. He's done the last 214 races in a row with Verizon as the primary sponsor. That's unbelievable. His like, first like was the poll he won at Long Beach in 2009. Mm-hmm. So that was the race where Elio came back, right? That's correct. That's he started correct. the weekend in Elio's car. Elio missed the first session, mm-hmm. and Penske had a third car there ready, rolled it out, surprised us all, and said, Elio's coming back, and here's where Will Power will be. And he's in the number 12 uh, and and won the pole in that race. Yeah, it's, uh, it really has been remarkable. You think of all the the sponsors that uh, different teams have had since then shoot, even his teammates uh, have changed multiple times. So is yeah, this good. longer than target and Ganassi? It's not yet. Cause that was probably over 20 years. Yeah. That would have started around 96. Was it before the split was target on the Ganassi cars in 95. Yes, I believe so. They were? I, I, okay. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I, that was I at least to, 25 years-ish. In fact, I think it turned out to be 29 is the number that comes to my mind. But oh, wow. that, may, that may not be accurate. But uh, it was certainly a long time. Somebody will send that in, and we'll we'll get that at the end of the program 
tonight as well. All right, next up on our list, um, maybe we do this now before we forget. Some some Daytona 500 conversation. So it became known at the Rolex 24 that Elio Castroneves was not going to try to enter the Daytona 500. That had been in the works since he won an SRX race, and it was part of a promise that if we won a race, we'll get you a Daytona 500 ride. And I think they sort of fulfilled that, but it I, I don't think Elio was super comfortable about the circumstances. Uh, it, it's a, a non-guaranteed to make the race ride is what I think was out there and available. So you're not really sure of how good the car is. And so I've not spoken to Elio about this. I'm hearing it secondhand. But the impression I got was Elio decided, you know what? When I do this, I would like to do it the right way. There's going to be a lot of hype, and I don't want to go and not make the race and not have a chance to be competitive. And I think it was likely with Floyd Mayweather's team, the money team, and he said, you know, I'm going to pass. And Connor Daly was immediately willing to say, hey, I'll go with that. And I talked with Connor about this last week, and I agree with his perspective on this. It was, well, one, you never know, because – a plate track, and I know that's not the proper phrase anymore, but Daytona and Talladega are different. So more people, more teams have a chance to be competitive. And he's not a four-time Indy 500 winner. Uh, He's not won 31 Indy car races. He may not be invited to do it again. So it would be foolish to turn it down. I'm going to give it a go and see what I can make of this. And the people that know will kind of understand the circumstances Last week, he wasn't sure if it was going to happen. Today, it got confirmed. And more than that, I think uh, the, the plan is for half a dozen other NASCAR Cup races for Connor this year. With yeah, I... Nile, by the way, paying for it. So thanks again to Todd Alt. Yeah, Todd Alt, thanks a lot on that one. The uh, He'll have two opportunities, as best I know the format, next Wednesday in straight-up qualifying, and then next Thursday in the dual race, He'll have a chance to race his way into the Daytona 500. And uh, what a cool, cool storyline. It gives us something to kind of cheer for. There's not as many cars as there were, you know, some years ago. That will help the opportunity to make the race. Um, I don't know how many they're going to have, but certainly that's not the number that there was 10 years ago. So there are six so far that have confirmed going for four spots. So that's so we- that's at least doable. He's He's got a chance. Here are the other programs that are in that category. Have you heard of Jimmy Johnson? No. Is he, is he any good at this? Well, he was, he's, the, Dallas, he's, he was the Cowboys he's football coach. Yeah, He's one of those that he will be competing against with what was the uh, Petty program. So it's not – he's not with Rick Henrik anymore. But I have a feeling that they're going to get, as they would say, Jimmy a good piece – He's going to have a good piece to enter the uh, Daytona 500, uh, speaking in in NASCAR terms. Uh, Travis Pastrana, new to this, mostly. He's done some truck and Xfinity racing. As Connor has. With 2311. So that's Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan's team. I like their budget chances to be able to put a decent program together, but I like Connor's talent over Travis Pastrana in this situation. Zane Smith and Front Row Motorsports, very capable young driver, a truck champion, um, decent program. Chandler Smith with Cowlick Racing. They have really good super speedway cars. 
Uh, Chandler Smith is a young driver, but Colleg has good Daytona cars. They should make the race. And the next one, I'll admit, I don't know. Beard Motorsports, I know the name, but I can't speak to how strong the program is. I'm going to say it's uh, mediocre is probably the best case scenario there. And Austin Hill, who is a competent driver as well. So, you know, there's two pretty decent programs out of that group are going to be sent home. So it it is far from an easy make for Connor Daly. No, but in a qualifying race at Daytona, things can happen. Things can happen. He may not make it on, on qualifying day, which is, which is Wednesday, but you know, in a qualifying race, on a track that, uh, you know, where big things happen, anything is possible. Um, and then he's going to get a chance to do some more races after that. And actually, there was another nugget that I saw Jenna Fryer tweet, and I do a did a screenshot of that. And can't find it, so I'll, I'll well, keep well, looking for that. Did well, you see looking, what it was? No, no, no. I was just going to say that I saw a tweet from Andy Hillenberg, our friend Andy, who ran a lot of uh, NASCAR races and was yeah. running an ARC, ARCA race in 93, and he posted the video of it today. He said it went into turn three. He was 30th. I think he was 30th in the field in this ARCA race. They had a big crash, and he came through the dust, downshifted about six or seven times, upshifted, and came out of the smoke and debris in sixth place. So he gained 24 spots between turns three and turns four. So anything can happen. And Andy ran the Indy 500. Sure he did. As well. Uh, here here was the nugget. Among the seven seven cup races, Bit Nile will sponsor for Connor Daly. The Texas two-step, he's going to do the cup race at Circuit of the Americas, an Indy car race the next weekend at Texas. And... I think I saw he was going to do both on IMS weekend. I, I didn't, that screenshot didn't take, but I believe I saw that as well. So maybe I, do you remember seeing that? But I, I believe Jenna tweeted that today that he's going to try. I think that's right, but to I do the double header that weekend, it, which would make some sense. One would be on the road course and he'd have a chance there. In all the notes that I took, uh, over the last few days, uh, his schedule was not one of them. So oh, I didn't come get on. that one right there. Also, I found well, we won't spend much more time on NASCAR, but I would say this. Uh, they still got some issues. Uh, Nate Ryan of NBC Sports tweeted at least three cup drivers struggled with fumes at the clash. Denny Hamlin says that he felt so badly he partook of uh, his pilot's oxygen on the flight home. Daniel Suarez said fumes inside the cabin. Chase Briscoe mentioned getting pretty fumed out. Denny started a new podcast today. I think it was Denny uh, and said, yeah, it still hurts when you hit the wall. So they've worked on some more crushable parts to the rear of the car, but it sounds like that that might still be just a little bit of a work in progress on that front. Uh, F1 has not raced in Vegas yet. Three-year deal already has an extension through 2032. <laughs> Okay, so and I get it. It's sign up now because it is going to be uh, one of the tough tickets. Did you see the quote over the weekend that I know some in our world did? That was it. Toto Wolf over one of the announcements. Maybe it was Ford uh, joining Red Bull. So maybe it wasn't Toto Wolf, um, but that there are fifty million people 
that are Formula One fans in America. And I, I love the way marketers come up with numbers. And one of the responses was, I forget who it was, a friend of ours said, and out of that 50 million, about 1 million watch your races each weekend. Now that 1 million, that's good. That's a number we, we'd like to have. And it's a lot bigger than it was, but you can make numbers say anything you want. 50 million fans, you know, you do a survey. Have you heard of Formula One? I have. Okay. We'll mark you down as a fan is I think how that works. Right. I, I, yeah, I don't, uh, <laughs> I got close friends who, who, uh, who still don't know what formula, the difference between IndyCar and Formula One are. I wouldn't say they're really close, but they're, they're strong acquaintances of mine. So it's, it's a strange, strange uh, measuring stick. If you're saying you're a fan of Formula One, just a thought that hit my mind because I, I, I know that it annoys some IndyCar fans when they hear IndyCar drivers talking lovingly about driving a Formula One car. And that is a point of contention from fans, maybe from IndyCar management as well. So I thought about this as we were talking with Tom Blumquist and on the Daytona, the Rolex 24 broadcast about how much he loved driving an IndyCar. Do... IMSA fans, do sports car fans. Now, I'm a sports car fan, but I am an IndyCar fan first. But if you are a sports car fan first, are you annoyed when Tom Blumquist talks lovingly about wanting to have an opportunity to run full-time in IndyCar? When Elio Castroneves, coming off of a championship, goes back to IndyCar, or should we just look at it rationally that Racing drivers want to drive the fastest car, the highest performance vehicle that they can. And, oh, by the way, they also want to drive every kind of car, no matter what it is, even if it's slower. Alexander Rossi loved running the Honda Ridgeline uh, in Baja 1000, in an off-road type of things. These people just want to get in it, and they are excited about any opportunity that they have. So, you know, maybe that's kind of a reminder to all of us that we shouldn't get so offended. No, the driver right. talks about how much they enjoy driving another car. Doesn't mean they don't love driving the car that they're racing in. We're all greedy. We all want more. I, I remember being a little younger in my career when, when I heard, uh, and turning my nose up when I heard Michael Jordan say he enjoyed baseball. I thought, yeah, come on. You're a, you're a hoopster. <laughs> So, yes, to answer Baseball your question. Baseball was his original love, though, and he wanted to yeah. do it all. <laughs> and he could. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm I sure. I know he that... hit 202, but I want to see anybody else out there that can hit 202 in double A. Right. That, that ain't that bad. It's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, sports car fans were probably a little a little uh, miffed. And I'm sure uh, IMSA people weren't real happy that we were having a discussion. You were having a discussion about IndyCar yeah, on their I, broadcast. I think about that. So. Here's how I hope it's taken. And this is what value I think the IndyCar drivers who, you know, we, we talk about this in our meetings as we talk about the stars and, you know, let's make sure we're talking about Ricky Taylor and Jordan Taylor and Tom Blumquist and, you know, all, all the regulars. Um, but when we mention those other names, I think it helps verify how good the regular sports car drivers are because it's not like the IndyCar guys. Now, yes, they, they do well. But it's not like they come in and they mop up the sports car drivers. No, they're of a similar speed. They're of a similar talent. They're all good. A great sports car driver would be likely good in Indy cars, just like I think a great Indy car driver 
would be at least good in a Formula One car. Give him the chance to do it. A great racing driver is likely a great racing driver in in similar types of disciplines. So, yeah, agreed. All right. All right. We haven't talked double points yet. We got to do that coming up in just a moment. Stay with us. Trackside 93.5-1075, The Fan. Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Thanks for staying with us. Kurt Cavan, Kevin Lee, Josh Molinix in our Indianapolis studios. I don't know if I buried the lead or not, waiting until, what, our fifth segment to get into that. But we've had a lot of other things going on. But I also wanted some time. I I don't know how much time we're going to need for this because we just kind of free flow. But when was it announced? It came out late on maybe Thursday night, Friday night. It was somewhere the days are all uh, mixed together between Daytona, Miami, Palm Springs, Indianapolis, and Chicago. But we got the release that double points are going away for the Indianapolis 500. Um, and my first reaction was, that's eh, good. It's not, I'm not going to say it's great, but I had been, I think, pretty open on my opinion that I, I didn't think they were needed. I thought the Indianapolis 500 stood on its own. We, good or bad, never talk about points on the Indianapolis 500 broadcast, it kind of stands on its own. And that could be debated whether we need to do more of that or not. But, you know, it's a new audience. We've got new people in. You try to keep the message as simple as possible. So you talk about the Indianapolis 500. And and maybe at the end you mention, and oh, by the way, so-and-so now leads the championship thanks to this. Uh, so that's going away. But the Indianapolis still 500 still means a little bit more because – uh, qualifying points still remain, I believe, in the same level. That wasn't in the release, but I believe I've heard that. So it's still, I think, 12 for the poll down through, what, an One. extra bonus point if you qualify 12th. Yeah, that's right, because it's now a fast 12. Fast 12 gets gets bonus points. So there are some incentive, and it's that's built in, and I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Qualifying is essentially event in itself. Yes. And so, you know, I, I think universally the competitors in the sport value the points for earning a spot of it in the fast 12. Uh, they get it. It was the double points on top of, you know, uh, the qualifying points that really could put you in a hole if you had a bad weekend. Uh, you know, was it last year? My years run together. Colton Herta has a crash right before. Um, kind of the race prep really gets underway. I think he had that on on uh, the Monday of, of race week, and then he's behind the whole weekend, for example, on race well, where week. Where would Newgarden have been? You exactly. Know, Newgarden doesn't have a good Indy 500 last year and is still in the championship. Uh, I believe the Penske drivers had mentioned in the past that they would be in favor of that going away. I noticed when Joseph was asked about it in his presser at Thermal that he really – didn't want to offer much of a comment. So I don't know if there was a, well, a I think, of, I think, uh, I think we don't want to pile on or just kind of uh, move along or what? No, I think from Joseph, Joseph's perspective is if he comments on it, it looks like sour grapes and especially sour grapes when his teammate 
is the one that won the championship. Yeah, so, okay. yeah. I, I mean, I think it's just best if he stays out of it. Let, I mean, it doesn't take much effort on the part of, of those of us who cover this sport to point out the benefit that, it, you know, Marcus Erickson, the Indianapolis 500 winner who qualified, I believe, fourth uh, for the 500. He led the points race for like six weeks after the Indy 500 because he had accumulated so many points at Indy. So, it just it just was a was a balance that uh, was you know an imbalance that didn't need to be there. I think that's that was kind of the point. Nobody was everybody understood it's the same for everybody, and they understood that you know that's kind of the luck of the draw. If you have a bad Indy five hundred, well, you're going to be behind in points. But it just was an imbalance, a potential imbalance that didn't need to be there. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like it was awful, but it was my preference that it just go away. And maybe keep some more people in the championship. And my fear was always, you know, what happens if, if and when Scott Dixon wins this again, or Joseph Newgarden wins the Indy 500? That is the more likely path to have the championship wrapped up before we get to the last event. Um, and I, I was more torn about the finale. I liked double points for the finale from the perspective that it it had. It, it almost guaranteed that it was still going to be in play. But I also like that IndyCar is a little more pure and a little more of a true champion than most other forms of motorsport. And single points all the way through keeps that in play. And we've been pretty fortunate that no matter how you configure the points, it has gone down to the end of the season. And I think some people did the math, and even the double points hasn't really swap things around all that much. I think it kept Montoya in it more in 15 when he won the 500 ended up uh, being in a tie. Yeah. Well, you know what? I maybe was that year a double 500 for the a double points for the 500 or just for the finale. Dixon won the championship because there were double points at the finale at the end. But anyway, whatever it is, what it is. And I think most of us are happy with that. Now, one point has been made up is that now Iowa means more than the Indy 500. But it is two races, and that's what you deal with, whether it was Iowa or Detroit. That event, if you run two races, that weekend is going to pay more than anything else. And the only way to avoid that is you don't have double headers. But we've discussed before why that's a double header because that's the way that you can make that work economically is to race there two times. So it makes it tough if you crash in the first race, but you do have a chance to recover. And just because you win race one doesn't mean you're going to win race two. And there are two, two races at Indianapolis motor speedway on the road course. So if you are good at the IMS road course, by the way, there was double points at uh, Indy in 2015 uh, when Montoya won it. But, um, there was, you know, I mean, I was probably the outlier because those are back-to-back days. And, you know, a guy like Joseph has been really good there. But I guess my answer to that is, to, is two races. Go beat him. You know, go beat him. He's got to do it twice. So there we go. I'm fine with that. So that'll be very simple to keep track of the points for this year. You get a little bit more out of Indianapolis 500 qualifying uh, on that front. Some other nuggets I've had on my list that we, we haven't gotten to. Um, 
Garage 56 at Lamar was announced during Rolex 24 weekend. There was a bit of a surprise there. I think a lot of us thought Jeff Gordon, and maybe Jeff Gordon, thought Jeff Gordon was going to be there. I haven't heard what Jeff's reaction was to this, but I've seen him recently, not in person. He was supposed to be at Thermal, but he, I didn't see him there. Um, but he looks like he has slimmed down significantly. You know, he bought uh, a Porsche GT3 Cup car, raced that at IMS last year. Looked to me like he was interested in in doing something, but it's going to be Jimmy Johnson, Mike Rockefeller, who is a a sports car star that has some GM ties, and then Jensen Button, the former Formula One champion, is going to be the third driver. Uh, so no Jeff Gordon. Happy that Jimmy is going to get to do that. And it doesn't sound like Jimmy's going to do anything any car related this year. Who was it? Someone said last week, some one of his friends, like a Canon or Dixon someone like that. Dixon, Dixon said, said, I don't think he's going to do it this year, but I don't think he's done with the Indy 500. And I would tend to agree with that. He said, you know, there's a lot on his plate with, with, uh, I think he even said Lamont specifically, but he said he's got a lot more going this year. There's new situation in NASCAR as well. But he said, I, you know, I don't want to speak for him. You'll have to ask him, but it sounds like 2024 is in play. Yep. Yeah. Because he, he showed he was competent there and I don't think he's going to want to do it unless he's in the right situation uh, on that front. We forgot to mention last week, I know this is a minor thing, but I like to mention it because IndyCar has been at the forefront of safety forever. You know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, going back to carts, IRL, no matter what it is, and this new IndyCar medical unit, I did not have a chance to go and take a look at up close. I've been in it. I just wanted to mention that. So kudos to the people investing in that for the drivers that we are all fans of. And and throw IU Health in that as well. IU Health and, and IndyCar uh, with this mark, new medical trailer it has an official name. I've, I've written it, but, and I've been in the trailer, uh, but it, you know, it, it's, uh, it's not kind of, you know, it's, it's not the same type of thing that cart had cart had a, basically a hospital on wheels. It mm-hmm. was, it was, uh, they could have, you know, <laughs> saved about anything. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not that, but it's, it's, uh, it very much suits the needs of, of today's medical at, at a, at a racetrack. Yep. It, it, um, it all helps. It makes everyone feel more comfortable and it makes us feel more comfortable as well. And it, it, it will, it will take care of, Hard card holder. So if you've got crew members, if you've got, you know, people in the paddock who, you know, can't get to a hospital, uh, because we're working 14 hours a day at the racetrack, then, then, uh, that'll be there as well. This came out before last week's show, but we had too much going on. We have race time. So you can start making some plans for the 2023 NTT IndyCar series season. Um, I think Nathan Brown of the star kind of did some summary and some comparisons and you see what notes you have for memory as well. He counted up two fewer early broadcast starts than a year before only five coming on air before 1 PM. Um, no ability to piggyback off NASCAR races, either leading into the IndyCar race or following on the same channel. And, and I would add in there, you know, the value is if you're on after a NASCAR race, there's not a huge value if you're 
on before a NASCAR race or even on before an NFL game. The value is if you follow something that has a massive rating. In this day and age, people don't generally tune in an hour early because they want to watch football coming up later. They tune in when it's time for football. Uh, what else out of that that, that you know, I'm looking at it? What, what, what did you see? No, I, I was going to skip ahead uh, from the TV. It did feel like there were more like mid-afternoon races as opposed to some of the late starts in the late afternoon. Um, but, uh, but I was going to add that our Canadian fans, I would think, uh, I haven't heard from a lot of them, but uh, uh, they're going to get a, a much richer content uh, platform on TSN and TSN Plus, which is, you know, those are big deals, big outlets. That's the big outlet for uh, for Canadians, uh, sports fans. So hopefully that the, they see that as a, a positive. Um, at least I took it that way. Eight races live on on TSN and and all seventeen races on TSN Plus. So hopefully uh, our Canadian fans are better served in twenty twenty three. Uh, we like the early start times. Those seem to do well in the ratings, but you've got to deal with the network conflicts and everything else going along. You know, I know the goal is still to avoid NASCAR as much as possible, but there are many factors involved in how all of that is done. And you can find that schedule and the times if you really need to know this far in advance on the interwebs. Since we are uh, an Indianapolis uh, based show, I would point out that the Nashville race is about three hours earlier in the day than last year's race, which for those who who like to go to the event, which gives you a chance to get home Uh on Sunday night in a reasonable time. So I thought that was a, a positive note for Indianapolis fans and Mid Ohio is is kind of in a similar boat, uh, an Indianapolis race, so to speak. Uh, that start time is is in the one thirty range. Uh, Road so, America is early again at noon local time, one o'clock, so you could drive home. Yep, those are that, Iowa. The second Iowa race is at two o'clock Eastern time. So if you wanted to drive back to Indy from Iowa, you could do that. Uh, you know, I think ideally we'd like to have one of them a nighttime race, but as I've said before. If you want to be on network television, you're going to have to be on in the daytime uh, until we get those ratings up significantly higher. If you get in the NASCAR number range, then you've got a chance of being able to do so, some more night races. So that's that. All right. Uh, coming up, we'll see what we missed. I haven't done Twitter questions yet. We need to do that, too, coming up in a moment. Trackside 93.5, The Fan. Okay, final segment and what we missed. George at Oil Pressure Blog points out that Will Power drove Elio's Marlboro car. I, I guess I was thinking more about after he got started, after Elio returned. But but yeah, that's that's correct. And there's not been much since uh, they rolled out that Verizon car at Long Beach. Just a couple of times since then. What else? Vincent1701 was one of those that asked about who was going to be at the Sebring test. So I don't have a list, but it sounds like there's going to be Somebody there on the 13th and 14th, and maybe you'll see some leakage of that on social media on, well, probably not till the morning of the 13th, but maybe on the 12th. Uh, He also asks, uh, responding to a tweet from Thermal, how is the track and the facility? This company group is putting in and almost through the red tape to start building a track. It is in my county outside of Orlando. Wonder how bad it will take business away from Sebring, an hour, 40 minutes away. 
So I think he's saying there is a company group that's putting in a type of track in Florida. So Sebring is very different from the Thermal Club. And even if they were nearby, I don't think it's the same type of client. Sebring is going to get racing people. It's going to get club racing, um, country club experience. Maybe it takes away a little bit, but I think there's room for people in that area. Um, So we'll see. I don't know what it is, whether it's going to be conducive to high-level testing, but Sebring is still one that people like to go to to replicate racing on street courses. And it does not have the same uh, type of vibe that you have at the Thermal Club and that their members that are paying between 5 and $10 million are expecting. You're not getting that at Sebring. David A. Lawrence says, from what you're gathering, what current track is the layout they're using at Thermal most being compared to? So most drivers are saying none. Lots of low-speed corners. That's one theory why maybe Honda was stronger. Generally speaking, they're good in those low-speed corners. Uh, But Chevy was pretty good in those similar situations there last year, too. Portland was mentioned a little bit because it's flat, but you know I don't know that there's anything that that's right there. It was mostly just to for the drivers. You know we talk about setting up the car; they need just practice. Those that didn't do the Rolex 24 hadn't been in a car since early September, so they just needed to be on a track somewhere. So for that, any track I think serves the purpose. Paul J. Ingram 56 uh, sends a picture along from IndyCar reminding of when they used Pebble Beach for their their photo um, visuals promoting the championship at Laguna last year and says next year schedule the thermal test during the weekdays between the AT&T Pro-Am and the Super Bowl the series should get to work on Scott McLaughlin and Graham Rahal in the Pro-Am field Penske Logistics would be a great sponsor here and then he follows up with what that means and he says I sent this to Scott and Graham regarding the Pro-Am Celebrity plus corporate sponsorship are the keys, and he has a link of how amateurs secure a coveted invitation. So I hadn't thought about that, but that makes perfect sense because Graham is a good enough golfer to be invited to that. I know he'd like to be, and he's probably asked to be, but they want a little taste too. So you not only have to be a celebrity, you got it's kind of like car racing. You got to get somebody to pay for it as well. And so maybe that's why we haven't seen an IndyCar driver there. Uh, so good to know on that front. Don Davis, a big D cart says NBC SN used to have pre-race features like a driver cooking or tracing a track blindfolded. Any new features this season? Not that I'm aware of, but I would not necessarily be aware of it. Our production department would take uh, control of those things and I'll find out like you do when we get to St. Pete or maybe a week before when we have our big production meeting. That's all the time we have for tonight. We're back next Tuesday night, 7 until 9. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks to Josh Molinix. I think Josh is moving on. I'm disappointed. I knew that would happen because he's really talented and really good. We'll be in good hands, but good luck to Josh on whatever is next for him, and we will miss him running the ship for us here on Tuesday nights. We'll see you next week here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.